This is Dave. Just a couple things worth noting before jumping into this next episode. Right off the top, I wanted to extend my personal thanks to longtime co-conspirator Lindsay Lindbergh for everything she's contributed over the first four years of this project. Lindsay has recorded and edited interviews and supported this project from the get-go. She recently decided to step down from her role as executive director for the Busker Hall of Fame because of the growing responsibilities to her company, Austin Oddities Entertainment. It's sad to see her leave, but it's great that she's having so much success with the company that she's growing. Next, huge congratulations to story editor Magic Brian for editing the story of his own life by becoming a father. This is crazy exciting news, much of which is getting shared on Brian's Facebook page on a daily basis. Go check out all of the Magic Baby action and send along hearty congratulations to my right-hand man when it comes to putting these episodes together. So yeah, there's been a few changes recently at Buskerhoff Central that are going to have an effect on how quickly we're able to get new episodes out. We remain dedicated to working through the content we already have and to collecting more in the coming months. So thanks in advance for your patience as we adjust to all of the current realities. All right, let's get to it. So Nick Nicholas asked me to and I'd do a fire blast at the uh, end of the group show. It would be really, really good. So I'm like, all right, okay, I'll do a fire blast at the end of the group show. And I did it, and it worked out great. That was because, uh, but there was two group shows at that time. Oh. So the first one did it great, okay. And then the second group show came up, and then I did it, and I had a uh, polyester tuxedo shirt on at the time, right. and I guess some fuel dripped on it, and the shirt caught on fire. And so my face was sort of on fire with the shirts, but I got bur- mostly burnt underneath my neck right. and in my like nostril and stuff because it burnt up. So yeah, mostly yeah. everything was burning on my chest, but it was like you know rising as fire yeah. on my face. And then Nick actually put me out with his jacket. And he like took <laughs> it off and like because I was like oh, and he put it out. And then afterwards he said to me, "I didn't ask you to breathe fire tonight." <laughs> and, like, ah. and then Pam was like, "Oh my god." With her like South African sort yeah, of yeah. Uh, Kiwi hybrid accent, and so she was super super nice. So uh, you had to go to the hospital. Uh, yeah, I had to go to the hospital. Yeah. And then the next day, there were some reporters looking for me, and Pam was like, "You, you can't talk to the reporters. <laughs> you can't talk to them." Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, your host for this growing collection of interviews. There's been a fair amount of talk, both during prior episodes of this podcast and whenever I connect with other performers, about the pivotal changes to the world that have had an impact on the busking community. The pre-amp days versus the post-amp days. The pre-9-11 scenario versus the post-9-11 reality when it comes to travel. And, of course, the growth of the Internet, its impact on how people consume entertainment, interact with each other, and, of course, the phenomena of diminishing attention spans. Brant Matthews discovered the world of street theater in the 90s and got to experience many of these changes firsthand. His dedication to constant growth has proven to be an incredible asset as he's been able to take advantage of the changing landscape instead of resisting it. He's the sort of guy who takes technical advances in stride, using those that will benefit him with an approach that's one part performer, one part skater, and one part entrepreneur. Add to this his exceptionally positive outlook on the world, and the result is an entertainer who's lived his life as an adventure, one that's filled with some pretty amazing stories from the pitch. 26th of August, we're here with Brant Matthews, the fire guy, Mr. Toronto, yeah. the king. 
So we're going to do a Stories from the Pitch podcast. And uh, So you're not from Toronto, right? No, I'm from Montreal. You grew up in the city or what? I grew up in a suburb called DDO, Dollar des Armeaux, in the West Island of Montreal, on the island of Montreal, of Montréal. Oh, yeah? So you're a fluent... Je parle français, but I'm not a, a Quebec City busker. I did busking in Montreal, and that's where I started to busk. But uh, Quebec City is a busking sort of panacea for French people. But I, I've, I've never... Oh, I busked there like when I started, like a couple of times. I just, on the street, on oh, yeah. fire, outside of bars or something. You know? In Quebec City? In Quebec City, but that was like way back in like 90, you know, five or four, you know what I mean? What did you first start learning, like new tricks? Like First thing I started learning was uh, Devil Stick for a play I did with a friend of mine called uh, An All-Too-Serious Fool's Discourse on Tragedy. Oh, yeah? Which was a play that we did at school. I auditioned for a Shakespeare in the Park show, and I didn't get it. So High school? Said, uh, after CJ, Quebec, sort of in between right, right, university right. and that sort of Quebec bureaucratic education you have to take it in Quebec. Anyhow, it's right. So uh, I took a theater course, and I was like into theater. I used to do product demonstrations. Uh, that was one of my first acting gigs where I like, like, like I'd be Mr. Clean in a suit, <laughs> uh, dressed up as Mr. Clean, or I was uh, there was a cookie company called Mr. Felix and Mr. Norton, uh, yeah. and I was Mr. Felix. The tall, skinny one, and uh, inside this, you know, and you go to different events and act like a. You know, uh, and you would do like devil sticks and stuff. No, I wouldn't. I would just uh, like walk around. It was a job. You know? uh, okay. It was so like I learned to so this play I did called "An All Too Serious Fool's Discourse and Tragedy." We said, okay, we're going to be fools, and it's going to be Shakespeare. And so we applied to different Shakespeare festivals with this idea concept show that we had. And we said, you don't even have to pay us. We'll pass our hat. And so I didn't know anything about busking at all, like zero, 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 zero. I didn't even think it was busking. It was just like passing the hat. We'll try to make money on the road. Right. And so we went to the Kentucky Shakespeare Festival, Colorado Shakespeare Festival, and Stratford Shakespeare Festival with this play. And we even had a song called The Sublime Joy of Passing the Hat. You know, there's a certain kind of blind joy of passing the hat. Anyhow, so... We, you know, obviously didn't make any money, and uh, I did another play as an actor, and then I was just had, you know, I kept playing with the devil sticks, though. Mm -hmm. And then so, when I was, uh, you know, broke in Montreal, I would go out to, which was like all the time when you're like young, and... Uh, it was cheap to live there, though, then. It right? was cheap to live there. <laughs> like how much? It was cheap. Like, I was paying a hundred bucks a month rent. Uh, well, <laughs> I paid two, when I first started in the plateau, I paid 200 bucks a month rent. And then that was sort of the norm, and then I found a place for a hundred bucks my wow. friend. And that's when, like, you know, $15 hats add up yeah. on the street, you know? Boom, 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 rent's wow. paid at the end of the night. And then, like, see, my dream in busking was always to make enough money to buy a Heineken. Uh, so this is so I started learning how to juggle, but I wasn't doing fire. Right. Then I moved in with this friend of mine in Montreal, and then we sort of put towels on the end of a devil stick and lit it on fire. And then my parents bought me my first fire devil stick. Nice. When they went to New York, and they went to Dubai, the juggling store, and they brought me back a fire devil stick. And then cool. that changed everything. Actually, my parents bought me a set of fire torches for my birthday once, maybe like 15 or 16. Oh, that was a big... And then I started, I started playing with this fire devil stick. Yeah. Also, when I did the play, the Fool's Play, I had a holster for my character, and the holster held a devil stick. Mm. And even when I wasn't performing, I was all crazy. This was like 1993. 
and we're all around the states going I always had these devil sticks beside me in a holster and I actually broke up with a girlfriend at the time because she thought it was just too weird guy <laughs> who always had like sticks beside him but Wait, the fire devil stick or not the, the fire, regular, just regular one right, right. that was before right. I got good at the fire so it was just regular devil sticks that I actually had made myself I, I didn't make it on a lathe but it was like with the theater department yeah, and, yeah. and we made them ourselves because I started with flower sticks and then moved on to the devil sticks so did you have a paying gig first or did you do it my first, first so I did street things we tried some stand up comedy clubs with a friend of mine which didn't work out Raphael actually from yeah, Raphael yeah yeah we were uh, a, like te- a, we were a duo. We duo, were a duo called duo comedy. Sticks and, yeah, sticks and stones. Right. Yeah. Duo, duo, duo comedy magic juggling. Nice. Yeah. Comedy magic juggling duo show. That was so bad. So you great. were sticks. Uh, yeah, sticks and stones. Yeah. Right. And uh, I don't know. It was pretty really bad. <laughs> I think we only did we did a couple of gigs today I did a cups and balls routine where I, all I, I didn't have any patter I just went because we were at a medieval gig and I was like Copa Palo. Because you know when you practice a routine by yourself and never present it in front of someone and yeah. it's in a show and I just said Copa, Balo, Balo, Capa. Oh man, that was so painful. Was that Portuguese? What is that? I don't know what it was. It was just like, uh, I don't know, medieval. I thought it sounded like medieval. Right, right, balls, right. Copa, Balo. <laughs> I don't know. I had nothing. I had nothing. I had nothing. I totally, it was one of those times where uh, you had a routine and you had nothing. I had nothing. This is funny when you buy a magic trick and like, and it comes with patter. Mm. <laughs> funniest thing yeah so was Dylan around then yeah so that was so so then yeah so I was in Montreal and so I was drinking a lot and doing a lot of fire shows on the street uh, and this was after that play and I actually got a job at the Just for Last Museum for a while uh, just as people would walk in I would do, you know do a few thumb tip tricks and some juggling but I wasn't street and I lost that right then I started doing more street in Montreal and then on the street in Montreal some people saw me from bars and nightclubs and I started doing like Fufun Electrique right, and right. Uh, my first proper gig was for a hundred bucks and all the beer my friends could drink nice. at Cafe Campus and the Petit Campus and it was awesome like it was great like all the beer my friends could drink oh amazing. that's awesome yeah, and where, like, where were you doing the street shows in Montreal? Uh, on the street shows on Prince Arthur Street. So oh, okay. I was always on Prince Arthur Street with the harmonica lady. The yeah. harmonica lady is like a famous Montreal sort of street busker. And uh, I used to sometimes try to do in the subways, but as soon as I got fire, there was no fire in the yeah, subways, yeah, yeah. obviously. So I just started. And so people just started calling me Fire Guy because uh, there was this parking lot across the street from the Biff Tech, And it was cheaper to buy beer from the corner store in Quebec and drink it in the parking lot that's now a second cup on Saint Laurent across the street so the parking lot had this incredible scene of skaters oh yeah and uh, and so we were all skating but we were drinking beer for way cheaper because you're buying from the corner store and so we're skating and drinking and then I would do fire and then we'd skate more and then go into the Biff Tech and clean up And I think I actually went there with Dylan once mm-hmm. one time when we went to Montreal he like took me to this place where everyone was skating and playing around, and he did a little show. I was like, "Oh, this is cool." No, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, yeah, might have been. So anyhow, so that parking lot was good, and the people just said, "Hey, fire guy, fire guy, fire guy." And so, All right, so you fire guy. My tattoo artist drew me a little logo, and then because I was uh, then I was living with Dylan at that time, yeah, punk magician. And he, was, I was like, well, first time I met him, he moves into my apartment. I go, hey, how you doing? And he's like, hey, he's climbing through a window, breaking into my apartment. <laughs> and he says, I go, hey, how are you? How are you? He goes, yeah, do, do you do magic? Yeah, I like magic. Do a bit of magic. Do you do juggling? Yeah, I juggle. Do juggling? Yeah, you do, uh, you know, all this stuff that... Uh, 
that we had in common. So we busted together a bunch. On Prince Arthur. On Prince Arthur, and then we even did this one thing. So on Prince Arthur, we're walking by one day, Dylan and I, and uh, we see these two girls. We didn't even have money for fuel. Yeah. No money for fuel. And so we say to the, we go to these girls, this was 1990, I would say 95. Yeah, 95, or maybe summer of 96, I'm not sure. But anyhow, it was one of my last years in Montreal. And so we see uh, these girls, and I go to them, hey, you want to buy us some fuel? If you buy us some fuel, then we'll be able to do a show. And so we convinced the girls to buy us some fuel. They were from New York, and Dylan was a charmer, a charming with magic tricks. Okay, so then boom. So I do a show, pass the hat, make a bit of money, drink with these girls from New York. Dylan, and all I had was a devil stick. Uh, yeah, just a devil stick. I was just busking with a devil stick because I wasn't meant to be busking at that right. time. I just so it wasn't was, like a show. It was just kind I of was like, just, Yeah, I had yeah. a devil stick on me because I always did at that time. And then Dylan was there. So I was like, okay, fuck, we'll just do it. We, you know, you, Dylan would do the fake tongue and I would just yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah. Devil, I would use the devil stick. Then I would eat fire with it. Then I would do a couple of different routines with it. I would just do whatever I could with the one prop. Anyhow, as fate would have it, the girls uh, say, hey, why don't you come with us to New York? And I'm like, I had no idea on me at the time. Right. So I go... Uh, we go. Me and Dylan just go. We go to what? New York. I had no ID. I borrowed my friend's passport, Gabby. So I borrow his passport and a pair of socks from my buddy Steve. And uh, our guy. Did you look like this guy? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> not his passport. It was his driver's license because we didn't uh, need passports didn't need it back, back then. Yeah. It was his driver's license, and so I just had to pretend I was him. Anyway, so we go through, we got through the border, no problem, you know, fire, no ID, no money. Like, Dylan and I had no money, we're in the States, and we end up in New York City at this girl's house who Dylan ended up started dating, Yeah. and then, so Dylan starts dating this girl in New York that we're just staying at, and the two girls originally that we brought there, one of the girls was trying to get with me, and I, I was just, I got this girl, I don't know, not your type? Not my type, and you know, on retrospect, I was like, oh, you should just done it, whatever, you know? How to be a wingman situation there? Yeah, so I was the wingman in the play, so I'd go out with this girl and do a busking show, so I was like, juggled one time, and Ethan Hawke gave me five bucks, and nice. he, like, he strolls in with like a, litany of chicks where was like this? Two, uh, this was in like the somewhere around the East Village right. in New York and then I ended up getting a tattoo from my buddy the tattoo I have on my arm the uh, fire eating one I got that from Dave Tattoo Dave was in New York at the time Nice. The and then I remember busking in front of CBGB's nice. to make money and I, I bust there to make enough money to go to the concert that was happening inside so that was pretty cool so uh, do you remember who was playing? It, there was Unsane was one of the bands Unsane nice. they were pretty heavy yeah, it was a pretty heavy show yeah. and then uh, Necro something <laughs> you know like a hardcore show yeah so that was when I was really into the street street I didn't know what I was doing I was just doing gigs at rock clubs and right. like I'd gotten a couple of like rave gigs but not that many and fetish gigs in bars mm -hmm. so I even had this weekly in a jazz bar where I did shows with a jazz band every week. And oh, that yeah. lasted for months. And it was only like 75 bucks a week and two martinis. But at 100 bucks a month rent, yeah, yeah. I was able to even invest and buy fireballs and buy a couple other... Which are really, really cool, but actually don't work well in busking, I find. So yeah. anyhow, then I moved to Toronto. What year was that? That was 97. Okay. So uh, next question, what pitch did you... like? get good on, like cut your teeth on, really, and go, wow, I'm actually a street performer. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny, because uh, I traveled around Canada so much as like a bus hitchhiker, sort of, you know, busking on patios, when I, you know, yeah. go up to a patio, do a little so fire like show. So like Queen West? 
Yeah, you know, that would be the most, yeah, because when I moved to Queen, uh, when I moved to Toronto, I ended up doing a lot of nightclub gigs. I got a, a gig at the government nightclub, like, my first week there, and for Microsoft, I was just a, you know, and so I started doing all these corporate gigs at nightclubs that were being rented out. Then I would do the nightclub gigs, right. and I would do, I did one year a hundred and fifty nightclub gigs. Wow! Yeah, and then I started getting the Raptors gigs. Yeah, and yeah. the the. around the time I met you, right? Yeah, so I did like a hundred fifty nightclub gigs a year because I had them all written down. Because then I did, and I would sometimes do some busking at like I get I got my busking pass at Harbor Front in '97 just on like oh, I might as well try again. And then yeah. I got it. And then I, uh, but I would go after my nightclub gigs, which were on Richmond Street. I would go to a pizza shop, and so you know, nightclub gigs were like two fifty, you know, whatever cash gigs here and there, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you would get like you know multiple weekends. You tried to do your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, or whatever. Yeah. And then sometimes multiple gigs on dead nights, especially on like Halloween. You go from club to club. There was a lot more clubs back then. Yeah. But anyhow. I would go to this pizza shop, Amato Pizza, and I would busk there for PE, give me free pizza anyhow, and I'd get some extra change, and it was always, like, cool, but it was never, nothing over, you know, 50 bucks, like, never yeah. anything over for 50 bucks uh, at that point in my busking career. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, but Queen West was where I'd go to do it as well, because Amato was on Queen, uh-huh. and then Queen West, I'd do some stuff, but I'd heard about busker festivals, and in 90... Nine, I think it was. That's when I applied on a hunch. I met you in '98 at the Ottawa Ottawa for like a brief thing. Yeah, I saw you for a few minutes. I crashed that festival. Well, I didn't crash it. I met the organizer and I said, "Can I come and do a couple shows?" And they're normally pretty cool up there. Yeah, back then it was awesome. Yeah, so he let me do a couple shows. What was his name again? It was Jason. Jason, yeah, Yeah, Jason Jason Billows. Yeah, because that's what happened with me in '99. Is I sent a. I had the worst promo for a busking show. I didn't know what it was, my promo video. I had, but I had VHS tapes I sent to different people. Uh, and like VHS, VHS tapes. I yeah. had a bunch of those, too. Oh, man. So <laughs> many VHS tapes, you know. I went through a bunch of VHS tapes to people. So I get this guy, uh, this lady from, what's his name's wife uh, from Dundas? Uh, oh, Lynn. Lynn. Yeah. So Lynn answers the phone. She goes, are you good? I go, well, my mom thinks I'm good. <laughs> and she goes, well, because you said your mother thought you were good, I'm letting you in the festival. Nice. I was like, oh, okay. So I got in, and I actually got in the newspaper, and I still have the newspaper clipping, which used to mean something. That was funny. That was my first Busco Fest as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first one I got booked for. Yeah, that was the first one I got booked for as well. Well, I actually, I got booked the year before <clears throat> in Waterloo. With uh, what's his name, the subtonic uh, monks. Subtonic monks, right? And that's where I met Moving Melvin Brown and right. Butterfly Man and uh, uh, what's the Indian Arju? Uh, oh, um, Jardu. Jardu. Yeah, Andrew Elliott. Andrew and Elliott. The, the, those guys like uh, um, Andrew Elliott like friendly with gave, you. And Andrew Elliott gave me a hard time a little yeah. bit because I was still pretty hot shit and what I you know I know like busking fest uh, people get all horny about just buskers but like at that time I was on fire in like clubs I was right. making a living I was like you know it was all Rocking really it. really really fun and then so the busker fest so Pete hired me to be like somebody who would just add some flair to this uh, thing and it was fun but like splitting the hat four ways was like even in one yeah. you know but still it was, it was, it was fun but meeting Butterfly Man was good. Spent one night up with him, talking oh, yeah? a lot, which was really cool because that was the one and only time I actually met him and talked to him. Right, right. Like, Did know, he teach anything uh, 
Any uh, wisdom? He just told me about his days at uh, when he was like a therapist, a physical therapist, mm. and uh, how when you know he threw a ball to one person who was kind of and the person catched it, even though they had like you know severe issues, spinal issues and stuff. But you know, he was he was rocking it. You know, I don't yeah. remember anything particular except that when I saw his show, I was like, whoa because I got to watch everyone's show oh uh, yeah so meeting Moving Melvin was like oh yes there are good people in the world and then meeting him he was like just like I don't know it was just such an amazing show yeah it's, great character amazing yeah. so edgy and hard yeah it's great yeah it was so solid but Moving Melvin came back to Toronto that year and so I went busking with him for a while and I didn't nice. even know where to go I didn't even bring him to the harbor I brought him all up and down Queen Nathan Phillips Square because he was staying with Bridget so he was like one of the first busker buskers I met and worked with, like, you know, right. oh, besides punk magic. And we were both making it up when, when him and I were going to Yeah, that. yeah. Anyhow, but then 99, I met you mm-hmm. in Dundas, and then I met Jason, and then Jason comes up to me and goes, hey, you want to do Waterloo? And I turned up to that festival with a ghetto blaster. Oh, That's my yeah. amp. Like, no mic, nice. I had the ghetto blaster, the, and then uh, no mic at all. And then there was another pole show guy there too, but he did like the circus pole. You had your pole show, right, and then there right, was right. a circus pole show guy who used to I forget his name. And there was a bunch of what was there? There was a couple of good acts there. I can't uh, remember. Uh, all Tom one. Comer was there that year. I think silly people were there. Yeah, right. Tom Comer was there. Silly people. I think they even had like a masseuse in the green room. Like, it right, was right, awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good food, good beer. <laughs> Bill, yeah, Bill and his wife. Bill, yeah, Bill and Lynn. Powell. Yeah, so, and then after that, you came to Toronto. And yeah. And you're like, hey, you're in Toronto? I got to stay. So then we went out to Harborfront yeah, yeah. the following weekend. And that's where I had, like, a big wake-up call about... Because, well, even at the festival, it was a wake-up call. I'd never... Right. Been, you know, I'd, I'd been to Waterloo, but I didn't know how to prepare myself for that one. And then everything sort of like starts tumbling. We went to right. the possibilities it, got bigger. Yeah, well, we went to the harbor front and like it was cracked. And then I, was it the next year that we did the? Then you then you came and then uh, that year we went to Victoria after. So we're hitting right. the harbor front. And I was learning a lot about mics and amps. And then we go to Ottawa first. You stayed with me, I think, from. And yeah, from uh, all the way from June till I, well, I must have gone out to like went, Saskatoon Fringe. Yeah, maybe or you went away for a bit. Edmonton Fringe. Like you were there for a while, but because they gave you a pass at Harbor Front. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, You're, and then maybe because we stayed together in Ottawa that year. Yeah, in the same hotel room, I believe. And then oh, at uh, the Busker Fest. At that Busker yeah, Fest, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Jason did. Yeah, the Lord yeah. Nelson. The Lord Nelson Hotel. Yeah, 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 yeah. really nice uh, hotel. Yeah, and we worked. That's there. right. Uh, yeah, because next year I got booked for that. Yeah, that's right. And I did um, Canada Day there, and the person that booked Waterloo saw me and booked me that year for Waterloo. Ah, yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a good run because uh, then you did that one, and I went to oh no, I guess I went to London before that. Yeah, I built the box. You weren't there when I built the box, so I didn't know what to do. I was like, ah, I just built my own box instead of buying a road case that's already a well built uh, box. Yeah. I decided to build my own box. <laughs> I brought it to and London and, wood. and yeah, wood, and I just left it there. I was like, <laughs> failed, failed. But uh, that was good too because I got another photo in a newspaper. That was the London Busker Festival. Yeah, it was a London, London Ontario, Victoria. It was like Park. ten days or something, right? Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it was my first thousand dollar like check gig. Though, right. right for my, I never yeah. went to that festival. So that was pretty cool to get like a thousand bucks retainer, and I was like, oh, I like retainers. You yeah, know? yeah, that's good. And then, so then you came back again. Oh, yeah, then we go to Waterloo, uh, I meet JP in uh, Victoria. Right, right. 
Yeah, so you came, you ended up in Victoria Fringe, but I think a few days after me. I'd been there a couple of days before you, right. and I'd met JP. And uh, so we had JP talking to him, you know, never a dull moment. No, no, no. And uh, so we talked to him a lot about busking, and like, okay, you got to come. Then you guys had the Sydney Olympics. Yeah. And I missed the Sydney Olympics. Oh, and, yeah, I was there. That was killer. Yeah, I still regret that, because I spent another season in Toronto, Toronto, because I had all these Raptors gigs and Medieval Times gigs. So I was yeah. the Medieval Times Master of Fire, so I got tons of corporate work. And I didn't have a cell phone, I had a pager. Right. I still had a pager then. I remember the pager, pager days. Yeah, you would always run off to make a phone call. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing gigs with Zero Gravity Circus a lot back then. And so Zero Gravity Circus, we went on a tour, I think in 2000, I think it was. We went on a tour across Canada promoting cigarettes. Benson and Hedges. Right, right, right. So that was pretty epic. We were on like a tour bus. and So yeah, I did a lot of those things, but I still got into busking. uh, But I guess I went to New Zealand in 2001. Oh, right, yeah. With Buskerfest? No, Gisborne. Oh, Gisborne, right? Yeah, Gisborne. New Year's Eve or something? Yeah, their New Year's Eve thing. And then I got from there, I got into actually the fringe in... Wellington. Wellington, Wellington Fringe. Yeah, yeah. And then any other gigs I got back then? Fuckatani? Uh, <laughs> What's it called again? I don't know, it was a <laughs> like, was that, remember that? No, why many? Why, why many? Why no, many? Uh, why many? Why many? Was it my Oh, why that's down, in, down South Island. Yeah. Was it Waimedi? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Waimedi. I'm not sure if that was the same tour. I think it was. Because Were I, you trying to jump down some stairs on a Yeah, like a that was in Waimedi. Yeah, they booked a, my skateboard show on the grass. Yeah, that's right. So I was on the grass, and, and they were like, is this the problem? And then someone said, <laughs> yeah, there might be a few slower people in Waimedi. Is that this year you burnt your face off? The year I burnt my face? No. no but that? that was in New Zealand, right? Yeah, I was in New Zealand in 2000 and. Seven, I oh, think it right. was, uh, wow. 2007, 2008. That was at a group show with the Auckland Busker Fest. I think it's 2007, actually. Right. Shelley Switzer was there from, from Edmonton. Edmonton. So she was one of the people that was like, sit down, do to put stuff on my face, and right. she helped me out. But it must have been the worst performer ever because there was a schedule where I was because I still burnt my face and I went out and did shows the next day because I didn't want to, like, because I had some good, good spots. So my face was burned like... You know, second degree under my neck, and I had to leave a thing on there for yeah. like a week and a half before you took it off. Like, just leave the flemazine on. Do you have other gigs down there? Yeah, I did. I had ended up actually. I did, wasn't it? I crashed the um, Cuba Carnival after. Oh, yeah. No, so oh yeah, I did that gig, and then I did the Devonport Food and Wine Festival, which is right after. So I got into there, and then I ended up getting into. Uh, yeah, and, and then I just crashed Cuba Carnival. But it was great because there was a big new picture like spread in the paper of like Fire Guy at Cuba, Cuba Carnival, and there was like three <laughs> pictures. Like it was, I was the biggest picture. It was so funny because nice. they didn't book me because I didn't have the really. I was on a pitch with Bruce and uh, who else? Not Bike Boy. It was Bruce and someone else that we're sharing a pitch with. I, I remember, remember Cuba Bruce. Street Carnival being good. Yeah, well, if you were in the festival part, it was really good, yeah. you know. But then they, uh, so I think that was, I think that street's now open that it was on, the one that the Burger King was on. Right, yeah, uh, Manor's Mall there. Manor's Mall, yeah, yeah. So that's now open to traffic, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not, yeah, that was yeah. a good, good spot. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I went to Cuba Street Carnival, I forget what year, but I met um, Liv Tyler, I met um, Orlando Bloom, oh, nice. Elijah Wood, they're all there filming Lord of the Rings. Jeez. Right? Yeah, yeah. I got there a bit after because the movie was out. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, you were probably there in like... In the, 2000, yeah. yeah, something like that. So I got there in 2002, I think it was. But uh, yeah, it was uh, that was good. And then, so I, I actually spent time in Wellington. I would just stay, I stayed on the pitch in Wellington cool for a long time. And Hilby was there at the Fringe. I got to see Hilby's show. He was one of the first shows I watched where I was like... Like I saw Charlie Brown years and years ago in Victoria, at, in Victoria, yeah. and I saw, and then when I saw Hilby, I was like, "Wow, both these guys got this street performer silence, as I called it, where right. like, they build their show, and in, instead of just like all hype, 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 it would get real quiet, and like you could almost hear a pin drop in their show, yeah. and just it was focus, yeah, really yeah. focus. And Hilby was like, I was like, whoa, I gotta get that, I gotta get that." focus where everyone's they draw a lot just um, listening to every single word yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's I, I really like that Charlie Brown was that that was the first busker I ever saw and that was like in yeah, 93 or something like four like, like that time yeah right that was the first sort of street show I saw that was good and uh, that was like a street show street show yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I did see a guy do a good show in Boulder <coughs> Mall, but he did like Diablos and stuff. I guess he was like, but I was so naive to the game that like I didn't even realize he was a busker busking. Right. But right. he was also did a show at the first Shakespeare festival I was at with another chick where he's like being a fool and like he was. Do you remember who it was? Like, what he did? The Diablo. He did a lot of Diablo. Diablo. He had a beard. Boulder, but in Boulder there was like people busking, like political busking. It was weird, like, right. was, like people activists, like, activists, like yeah. almost you know taking over the public square there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy say, you know, you just have to, you don't need to drink, man. You just need to dream. <laughs> you know, when I'm drunk, I'm drunk at night. Every time I'm asleep, my dreams are more important than than me falling off. And I was like, all right, why are we busking in sobriety? Right wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I went to uh, Boulder back in the day and was in with Martin Ewan, Lurk, and uh, yeah, I remember working that pitch with uh, Tom, Tumbleweed Tom. He was like an old school guy I met in New Orleans. Nice, Tumbleweed Tom, good name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, did, he had the real raspy voice in the Tall Ladder show, but uh, yeah, it was, it's still working. That's a pitch that's like always. There's it, always buskers there. There's always buskers there, yeah. Totally. That's awesome. So what's your favorite street pitch? I don't really have a favorite. My favorite street pitch is the the, the one you crack, like the new town yeah. one. My favorite street pitch is the one that you like. For example, I was just in a festival the other day. Uh, I, was, so I was booking acts at a gig that I did in New Brunswick somewhere. And so I'm at this festival and... There's the, the spot they put us on. It was like this new closure. It's behind a big hockey arena. And there's no... It's a beautiful view. Like, beautiful. Yeah. But it's obvious that there's no one coming. It's where the main rock show is on the, the Saturday night. And, you know, they're setting it up and, like, getting it ready for the nighttime shows. But yeah. there's nothing happening in the day. And so... You know, I had two other acts I had to bring there, so I bring them, we all do one show, and we're like, okay, that's fine. So then I like take my one wheel, and I'm like, cruising around, like, where are the people? And there's a whole fair happening over there, and I go to the organizer, and go, you didn't tell us there was a fair? Why don't you put us beside the fair? You know, like, why didn't you think to put it, oh, we wanted to draw people over here. I'm like, we're not going to draw anyone over here. It's like a mile away. People are all at the fair. It was a pretty small, economically depressed town to begin with. So it's there like... Wants yeah, and they're not happy about it. You know, like, I mean, the fair can only do so much to, to you know, 
brighten the smiles of anyone that's not completely ignorant by youth you know? <laughs> so it's like even this one lady was like came up to me she's like you're the best thing that happened to this place in years I love you guys but this place is a shithole man get out. I'm like, this is like the nicest person I've met there she's like this place is awful you gotta go but uh, in the end, I think actually cracking the pitch, we actually did do well. We actually, we made this really nice pitch happen. That is a nice feeling. Yeah. Doing and, a show when no one does shows. And then we were able to do show after show after show after show, and that was really really great. So, so that was like, you know, you to take some some shitty pitch and then turn it into a really good functioning money making everybody's happy you know yeah. pitch even in a small economically depressed town you know um, I, was, I was once in Victoria with uh, Dado and uh, we, we went to this ice cream shop in the middle of nowhere and there was people everywhere getting ice cream and I said to Dado I said there's a show here and he's like you can do it so I did it <laughs> How was there it? was like this grassy slope right outside the ice cream shop and I did it and I made like 280 bucks nice and I was like well that's pretty good for an ice cream shop yeah that's not bad did you get ice cream <laughs> yeah I got ice cream free ice cream mm, probably not I think I got ice cream first oh nice I got ice cream like there's a show here oh that's the best <laughs> that is the best and you can find little gems of places here and there you know I got this uh one place I, last year that I did and we just cracked it and like you know it's right by a drawbridge and people have to stop in this parkette and it's just like ah it's perfect nice and this year I was able to send other people there and because I can't always do you know the thing is you don't want to be that sort of coveting busker where you are like oh I only like working at this spot and right spot. right nice. to me that's not Variety's fun yeah like that's not a you know I mean it's nice to have a, a pitch that's putting out but it can you get bored of, I get bored of the same pitch yeah you know and the, you just uh, you want to you want to get out there just to get out there I mean you're moving you're a traveling performer so what it's, about um, what about festivals do you have a favorite festival no well, not just busker fest I but mean festivals in general yeah fe- my favorite festival uh, where is my favorite festival uh, you know what I think the, the best run festival that I was like from start to finish I was like this was good this was fun was the yeah. uh, Red Deer Oh, yeah. Flying Bob does. Yeah, well, he's just, in the performer, you know? So yeah, that's great. so I thought that was, like, the best festival from, like, start to finish. My best festival relationship is with Toronto Busker Fest, because yeah. I do a lot. I play Santa Claus for epilepsy. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean, like, I've gotten involved with their charity and, and stuff. But the uh, the way Flying Bob brings people in and, mm-hmm. you know, has the extra room for people and you all get a card to it, it's just so inviting. And the shows are, like, less shows, but... Nice big shows. Beautiful yeah. shows that, you know, and everybody wins. It's an everybody's wins festival. I mean, obviously, you can't control weather, but, right. you know, everybody wins at that festival. It's amazing. Um, okay, next subject. Uh, how long have you been skating for? Oh, I've been skating since 1986. Wow. That was when skating was huge, right? Skating was huge in 86, 87, 88, all the way to 90. It was just, like, everywhere. And you would you get, like, the videos? You know, yeah, like, Animal Chin, yeah. Uh, Bones Brigade video show. Yeah. Uh, Bones Brigade video show was the first video I saw. No, Future Primitive was the first video I saw. That's the first one I ever had. Oh, man, that was a yeah. good video. That uh, Tommy, Mullen. Tommy Guerrero's sequence. Rodney Mullen was amazing, but that was yeah. way above my pay grade. Yeah, totally. And, uh, but the Tommy Guerrero street scene was what I liked the most you know I love that and so yeah I skated a lot and then I stopped for a bit in theater school and then I started when did you realize you could use it in your show 
Uh, I you realized I could use it in my show. Jeez, uh, when I flew to Australia, I did fill with fly with a skateboard. Yeah. So, and I saw, yeah, I saw a Bike Boy using his bike in because I had my longboard. I had made the decision to start using skateboarding. Jesus, when did I? I think I could. I had to use my board to carry my box. I was always skate. I always skated. So and I would skate to and from places. I just I, no. I guess it just sort of happened. But seeing Bike Boy do biking bike around tricks. and bike yeah. tricks, I was like, well, oh, I could do that with skating. Yeah. And then <clears throat> something mesmerizing about going around in a circle. Round in a circle. Yeah. Round, and you could and you could people just follow you. I had no height, so I needed something to. You know, create a larger circle, and then you could bring the show to more people close up by moving around on a skateboard. So. <clears throat> and you, do you not use it anymore because you have the one wheel now? Uh, well, this summer I've taken a bit of a break because of the one wheel, just to be just use the heck out of the one wheel. I tried bringing the skateboards, the one wheel, the case, and the, the, right. everything. It's just like ah, it's all this stuff to carry, and you're going back. I love to be able to go to and from the car in one go. Yeah, that's a good feeling. Uh, sometimes you can't because you need bigger amps or whatever. Ever, but uh, but I like that to and from in one go. It's way way cool. Well, then the one wheel is like a novelty too. You know, people oh. are like, "Wow, what is that?" You and know? it's a novelty for so long. You know, yeah. it's like the LED light ones that have the images. You know, in two yeah. years they'll be selling them for ten bucks at the X. For yeah. now, they're like an exclusive, interesting, really yeah, cool yeah. prop. That's you know good. But eventually, it's gonna go out. But anyway, so I put skateboard. I even rebranded myself as All Star Skateboard Circus yeah. for a few years. Yeah. And that got me a lot of gigs in uh, Australia, New Zealand. The All Star Skateboard Circus got me, and Europe, and like I got you know, so I got more gigs out of that one. But in Canada, I was just known as Fire Guy, so right. I stuck with it. I tried to break away, yeah, and then um, it just didn't work. So I just went back and just was like, and uh, and you got the uh, the ramp and the Flaming Star. When, yeah, when I got the Flaming Star in two thousand and. Four, five, I think four, yeah. leading to five to the Australian Sea. When I moved to City, I had moved to Fremantle and yeah. Perth for like about six or seven months, yeah, and then yeah. I came back to Canada. That was in two thousand three. <laughs> uh, two thousand three, and then yeah, two thousand four, I moved to Sydney. So I did the two thousand four, two thousand five Sydney seasons, right? Uh, and back to back with Canada, and then uh, that was really really cool. Uh, because uh, that's where I created this Flaming Star. So I moved to Sydney, had the Flaming Star, and I showed up at JP's place, and he like saw the star. I set it up before I'd never been used. So yeah. I flew to Australia, it was brand new, and he was like, you're going to make so much money. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> and uh, the Flaming Star was just great. I think my It's funny, I first did my pole in JP's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so how's your body holding up with the skateboard and... Uh... Oh, I'm happy I found the one wheel. No, everything's good. I, you know, I can't complain. I find when you're excited about things, you have a natural enthusiasm for things. Uh, maybe it's just dumb luck, but uh, I'm just so enthusiastic about the prop that even if I was injured, I'd be like having fun doing it. I guess if you're like injured beyond repair, that's not good. But yeah, body's holding up. Everything's good. Show's fun. I've been doing a lot of parades with the motorized boards. Yeah, tell me about the parade. So it's great. I mean, like, say you have a festival. Often festivals are associated with parades. Boom, you're riding the one wheel. I do a pre-parade show where I go up and down the street. I did it with my old board, which is called the Z-board, which is really, really fast and good, but this one wheel is such a novelty. So you just, so I just go either do a parade, I lead off a parade. I've done like five or six. I got another like 
five at least confirmed parades for Santa Claus parades. Nice. So it's a lot of fun, and I, you know, two hours goes by, and I'm like, I can't even believe I did it. You know, it's, <laughs> a, it's so much fun. And then you have to walk back to your car. Yeah, you gotta strategize. Because the parade starts, and it ends in different places, so you almost want to park your car at the end of the parade, take the one wheel back, and then go back. But you only got seven miles on it, so you're gonna measure. Right. Otherwise, you're walking with it for a while and it's heavy. So, seven miles, how many shows is that? Does it ever run out? Mm. There's an app on your phone oh, right. that measures the battery. So, I'm always charging it. I have two of them now. Nice. I'm gonna have to get a third. I want to get put a winter tire on one to see if I can go on it, like go on. On snow? Yes. Wow. Why not? It'd be awesome. Do they make like a thick like tire for it? I don't know. I'm gonna ask them. But what's cool about the one wheel is that when I was, you know, everyone said, "Oh, Europe's no good. You got all these like cobblestones." It's a cobblestone crusher. Yeah. You can do it on grass. It's waterproof. Even in the rain, I can stay out there. So it's rainproof. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Ever. <laughs> I don't know, it's so good. Really? <laughs> well, it's an endless wave. Yeah. It's motorized. Yeah, so yeah. if you love the feeling of surfing and snowboarding, you don't have to go uphill, you don't have to get wet, and you're doing it in the city. The bad thing about the one wheel is one is a novelty, a head turn, or something to talk about. Ten is a nuisance that needs to be regulated. Right. We're at the beginning of a new era of electronic transportation yeah. that's going to transform in the next 10 to 20 years. All right, so um, how has busking changed since you first started? Only one thing to talk about. Telephones. Right. That's it. I mean, like, busking has changed in... Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, one thing about, yes, is that the show isn't about you anymore. I even say my show, this show is about what your friends think of you when you're posting photos of me on your Facebook. Right. Twitter. So that's, uh, that's in my show. Yeah. This show's now about you because everything's about you. People are texting and they're in the show. Hey, look at me. I'm with this cool guy doing cool tricks. Yeah. The How amount cool am I? Photos you have to do after a show now. Yeah. Has like gone off the, off the roof. But you all right with people filming you and putting putting your uh, act up on the? Can't stop them. Yeah, I can't stop them. But you're okay with it? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. So it is it is what it is. A sign of the times. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I just got Snapchat because I was doing a show just like a few days ago at the Port Credit Busker Festival, and I was like, yeah, for your Instagram, because I say it in my show about it, for your Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and then the girls were like, that's a Snapchat now? I'm like, okay, how many people do Snapchat? And all these, like, teenagers, yeah, that's all we do is Snapchat. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. Teenagers. So Snapchat. I got Snapchat, so I got Fire Guy Show on Snapchat. Promotion, which, like, promoting yourself to a festival has gotten so easy yeah. and so transparent that... Promo videos have changed. You know, they used to be, I remember when I started, like five minutes five in length, minutes, and then yeah. three minutes in length. Now it's like it's a minute. Yeah. More than anything, more than a minute and a half. And, you know, in the end, you should almost have four 12 second promo videos and a video, I don't even want to say this, but a video strategy because video editing is the letter writing of the 21st century. Yeah. So, you know, you have to have, you know, I just put a new video out of a one wheel. Just yeah. to get it out there and like focus my video on just one aspect of the show, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that way it's not too... I'm going to do another video at this festival and like just on the oh yeah life. Right. So focus on the oh yeah life and then 
you know, play it up instead of the promo video only being shots of you outside in a festival. Yeah. Which is what my one-year-old video is, actually, but you're going to see more and more evolved videos by buskers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, uh, when you're looking at Facebook and, and any kind of social media, when you see a picture or a video, it's, you're more inclined to interact than if you just see, like, it's a text, you know, you, oh, maybe I'll read that, maybe I won't. Right. But it's a photo, it's easy to look at, it's a video, sometimes you press play, sometimes you don't, you know, but yeah. Do you think that the internet is uh, helping busking? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, uh, yeah, sure, I think, uh, well, there's also... Aside from promo being easy. Promo being easy, yeah, you know, better or worse, it's hard to really say because it's just, it's just growing and, and, you know, there's a whole new crop of just festival buskers that aren't like street bus- like busking festivals used to look at street buskers and were inspired by them to create a festival right now there's a whole crop of just festival buskers who busk right. at festivals yeah you don't have to don't be busk. a street performer to be a street performer in no. Canada yeah the word busker just means performer now almost you performer know? yeah in Toronto, anyhow. So it's funny. Yeah. Oh, you're a busker. Do your busking show, and then we'll pay you this, and then uh, yeah, yeah. No, not passing the hat, and you're right. Wait, I'm not a busking show at a wedding, like yeah, right. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. The word busker isn't as uh, entrenched in street performance, and uh, it means sort of a. But there are more busker festivals in Canada than any other country in the world yeah. too. So the word is really infiltrated, and Ontario is the. Biggest concentration of busker festivals, I'd say, anywhere. You know, yeah. you got Ottawa, Kingston, Toronto, Waterloo, Dundas, Dundas. Like those are all big, you all know, close together busker festivals that are close together. Uh, so that's fine. You know, you forget Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, oh, man, <laughs> thorough busker. Yeah, Niagara Falls busker festival. Yeah. Doom. And Windsor's coming back next year. Really? Windsor's coming back. Wow. Yeah, with uh, Cobbler J. Oh, so wow. and he's one of the uh, it's funny he's one of the young up and comers that's been doing it for like eight years you know he's been kicking butt so his show I guess is getting better too is, uh, his Seth Lippett show he's in Waterloo this weekend he's, yeah. he's doing it really really well anyhow yeah and there's a lot more um, younger buskers coming up the ranks now which I, I like seeing in Ontario you yeah, know, yeah. there's like you know Billions Cobra he's doing really well right like, oh, party party shows doing really well and there's like Bella Magic, Bex and Motion. You know, there's a, a bunch there's of. There's always a new generation. Yeah. yeah. So you do a lot to help them. Ah, uh, yeah. Try to be you know, help where you can. Sell them amps. Sell them mics. <laughs> sell them amps. You know. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, get the you know try to get them on the street. And uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so, it's great here. So you have a talent company called yeah. Dispatch Talent. Dispatch Talent. So um, when did you start that? Four years ago, Dispatch Talent was started. Four years ago in November. And, uh, yeah, so Dispatch Talent's sort of like the taxi company of talent agencies, you know, where it should be easy to find a juggler or magician, right. you know, instead of searching an endless stream of YouTube videos. And, right, right. You know, one place, one-stop shop. Yeah, I mean, it's a talent agency, and then we try to work with the act to make them better. Like, instead of having comedy jugglers as a, a, uh, as a profile for, we have comedy jugglers, we have chalk artists, we have minds, I try to create, or help the artists create brand name recognition. Right. So that they come out not as, like, chalk artists, there's Mighty Mike, the strongman juggler, you right, know? Right, it's right. like, says so much more as what he is, it's an inviting yeah. name, you know? A niche. 
there was uh, Bella Morta. She was Bella Morta, and that's her, like, and I was like, why, do magic? Be Bella Magic. I could sell you as Bella Magic easier than Bella Morta. Yeah, yeah. And that's her own thing, and in her own other world, it's a great name for what it is, but if I'm trying to get someone at, a, like, a kid's birthday party, yeah. ooh, I want Morta. No, no, you want Bella Magic. Yeah, you know? yeah, Bella yeah. Magic, hey, it's happy, it's magic, it's <laughs> a show. So, uh, you know, Fire, the, one of the things I dislike about my name is it's the most generic name ever. Right. Fire Guy has been such an awful name that Dispatch Talent is my favorite name because it says what it does inside the thing. So it should be like a taxi office, a dispatcher, just getting talent, you know, like get him out there, get the talent out there. Yeah. So you have to help create the talent or, or mentor the talent and then deliver the talent. Right. We deliver entertainment. Nice. <laughs> and how many acts you got on the roster? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I book a lot of the local buskers and stuff, and local performers. So, uh, but I get some internationals gigs, and you know, uh, so I, I'd say it loosely. You know, like something like on Canada Day, you end up you have like eighteen people out, but I don't represent wow. all of them. I had right. like eighteen to twenty performers, not even including the, you know, the storytelling group I hired for the province of Ontario who had like about eight or nine or ten members of their own you know right right so yeah acts wise you know you you try to deliver what your client wants that uh, you know and uh, and it's good yeah so I yeah a core group of about ten though I'd say well um, I was going to ask you what uh, what do you think the busking will take in the future like or what direction do you think uh, festivals should go in or well I don't know I don't, know what I, I don't even know what I would do at festivals. Is if you were running more your own space, festival, if I was more, running my own space, yeah. more space, less concentrate, more silence, less like just right. more like uh, yeah, more little silence, and also more uh, interactive stuff. Although you know, Toronto Buster Fest does a good job when you're dealing with millions of people. It becomes something quite bigger <clears throat> than you know an Apple Blossom Fest having people. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if I have really good advice. Like, just try to find people that aren't all using the same jokes. Right, right. That's right. a good thing. That aren't using seeing like. That's another thing. Like, if I come to a festival and I hear somebody doing a line or a bit, and like, yeah, three people are blowing a torch out in the funny way where it never goes out. Well, that happened in Ottawa, so I yeah. take that out. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. want them to go see the Flying Dutchman doing it, and then like on X, you know, I'm doing it, and then yeah. you know, uh, oh, hundred uh, percent of the people surveyed like this show. I don't want everyone. You know, hundred <laughs> percent of people are going to get that we're hacks. Right. You know, like so. Yeah. I wish there was a little bit like of uh, openness of like this, I got you can take that one. Okay, I'm gonna stop blowing out my torch. It just right. you know because if you go to a place by yourself in a small thing and you're blowing out the torches gag and doing that thing, that's great. You know what I mean? That's fine. You're there in you know small town nowheresville. But if you have another bunch of other buskers performing at the same time and you know that they have some similar lines and material. Yeah. You know, then it's good to uh, <clears throat> try to differentiate yourself. I find uh, in Europe that the festivals have a much more diverse cast. Yeah, I'll be like, I'll be like the only guy doing that kind of show. Wow! You know, there'll be a ballerina on a piano. There'll That's be great. a mime. You know, like just I'll be the only guy who's like talking, doing comedy kind of thing. We're juggling and that. So yeah, that's kind of cool. A little more sophisticated uh, street art. Right. Which, uh, you know, they got the pocketbooks to bring yeah, in. Yeah. Canadian festivals are just all for gunslingers, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you come in there, and unfortunately, yeah, the, the power show sort of motif can take over, and then you see similar structured shows, right? Yeah, yeah. It would be great to have less formula shows at some of the Canadian festivals. but It's just what works here. 
people are used to it. It's like Samples Australia, you know, that you go to a festival there, it's what people are used to, they want to see this, they want to see that. And uh, if you don't do that, it's, hey, I'm out, I'm going to go watch the next show. You know? Well, the tents, the micro tents, tents are the next sort of, that's the next big thing. The new is unicycle? Like, is the u- new unicycle. <laughs> mini having, tents? Having your own little mini tent that you can control people coming in, coming out, you can control the photos inside, you can, <clears throat> gives you control. <clears throat> in Canada, it's not the best idea because of how cold it gets for the winter. Yeah. Seasonal. And, that, and that's why a lot of Canadians either have to get out, be on the road, and stay on the road, or get in and have a bookable act that's going to get you gigs. Yeah, yeah. uh, So that sort of changed me as a busker is that I do do about, you know, 50%, not even like 40% busking to, or 35 or something like that. Like my busking percentage to gig percentage is way down now. Yeah, so one of my questions was, uh, you do a lot of work outside busking. Um, What's the strangest thing you find yourself getting paid to do? Strangest thing? Oof. Strangest like thing. Santa? Or Sa- yeah, Santa. Parades? Or yeah, what? What are parades? Parades is pretty weird because it's just like so much fun. I'm just riding around on a one-wheel board, juggling not even fire. Yeah, yeah. And I just ride around and have fun. And just And then by the end of it, it's like two hours are gone, and you get a check, and you're like, that is great. <laughs> it's fun. Ever. Yeah, it's just like super, super fun. That's cool. But uh, yeah, like, I would love to get a tent. But I don't think, you know, right now with the one wheel, you got to play to your strengths. My strength right now is this one wheel board. It's so much yeah. fun. Well, I'm having fun because there's nothing worse than a street performer that hates his material. Right. Oh, man. That is like a brutal, yeah, you brutal can see it. feeling. And what about uh, Chuck Champers? What's that all about? No, uh, that was a come and go. That was a, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, I was drinking a lot of wine, <laughs> and I thought I tried to morally justify it with a performance creation. I was like, "I'll oh, work wine festivals. I'll juggle wine bottles." But it did. I did juggle a bottle of champagne, like a Dom Perignon or yeah. an Encristal, for years as yeah. a street tool. But that's when I did mostly all street. So I sort of transitioned from. You know, 2004, three to like 2010 was like very street life. I did like most of my stuff on street. Yeah. And then I started to, you know, started Dispatch Talent and focus more on gigs and, and whatnot and, and, you know, helping other performers out. But uh, the champagne was such a great tool for when you ask for money for people to be like, listen, I can buy a $300 bottle of champagne. Yeah. And I'm juggling it. You know, some of you have never touched these bottles. So, when you ask for a certain amount of money, remember, look what I'm risking here. Look what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. And it was a subconscious sort of tool to have status. Because sometimes people will say, especially if you're doing hard street pitches, that they'll think, oh, so what's what your real job? Or, you know, right, right. How, how do you get by? You know, yeah. you want to break that mentality for the moment when they decide how much they're going to give exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, a yeah. bottle of champagne went a long way because people look at it, is it real? But I don't do it now at festivals because it doesn't do anything more for you at festivals. Yeah. Um, you're a really great booker, like a negotiator. How did that start? How did you get that way? Actually, some guy gave me the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, in like 1997. Oh, uh, yeah. And I used to read that, and I was like, oh, I started reading different business books, and I thought about negotiating. I was like, ah, oh, wow, I got that tape from the Magic Store, like How to Negotiate Higher Performance Fees right, yeah. by Michael Amar. And so I listened to that, and then he talked about his other negotiating book, and I bought this. And so I just went to the business book section all the time and started reading books on negotiating. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you sold me on a few of them. I read a few of them, too. Yeah. Covert Persuasion. Yeah, Kevin Hogan. Yeah. Yeah, he's really good. I got his CD thing, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, some of the things with, like, you know, learning how to say no, usually an artist will start off and negotiate the lowest fee they're able to live off of. Right. Which is fine, you know what I mean? It's just that, and probably reflective of their skill level, to be honest, uh -huh. because as your skill level as a performer grows, you start to see other people and meet other people that do it. And then your skill level as self-representation, because, you know, buskers are their own agents, managers, tour guides, you know, roadies, you know, it's, it is an all-encompassing sort of showbiz job to be a busker. Right. Because you have to do so much work, so negotiating is just sort of part of one of the things as a, your own agent you got to learn how to do. Yeah. Do you do a lot of cold calls, like, when you're booking gigs? Uh, I call some places, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not, I like phone calls, you know, phone calls, emails, you know, whatever works, you know, yeah. referrals and repeat customers are the best, yeah, definitely. you know, that's my, my goal is getting referrals and then like, you know, not being afraid to like ask for a referral if you have a good enough relationship with the person, which takes a bit of time and that takes a bit of savvy too about how you represent yourself in a meeting uh, what position you take, recognizing the people in the group, you know, if you're meeting a group of people, what's the power structure in those people, who's really making the decision, who's not, what do they care about? Right. You know, you know one thing is uh, in negotiating would be keep it in their world. Often performers would be like, yeah, I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that, which is fine, but the person's got, yeah, I got this stage show between bands, but we really need the stage filled. And that's what they're thinking. We need something happening. And you, then you can go, well, right. while they're changing over on the stage, I'll do a show in front of the stage. Then you're solving a need. And then they're also imagining you in their world. Mm -hmm. So you want them to start imagining you in their festival as they know it. Right. Not them imagining themselves watching your show as you know it. Right. You can't really explain that, but it's a mindset of going it's in fitting and... Fitting in a puzzle piece into yeah. their puzzle. And it's their puzzle. Yeah, it's not your puzzle. And yeah. uh, that's absolutely it. And that just takes time and practice. Just like a busking show takes a thousand shows. It takes a thousand negotiations to be like, oh, right, I think I've got some, you know, understands. <coughs> I have two more questions. Yeah. You've always had a great life philosophy, always positive and it's optimistic. What are things you believe in the most? Uh, growth. Yeah. Just like, you know, I see, you see the world, there's like, if you look at a bunch of blades of grass, all they're trying to do is just like, scream up. Yeah. And I think that's it, you know, when you are your blade of grass, you're just screaming up and you have to scream up in growth, you know, always in growth. That's the, that's the only thing I think of is, and things grow that are good and things grow that are bad, you know, growth and rot, you know, so you could be in a, a pool of rot thinking that you're growing but what are you really growing you're growing more and more rot you know growing more fungus so you're in a state of growth you know you are growing but what are you growing and I think we all have a tapestry of of that in us you know and so uh, if people are brave enough to look at themselves in the face in the mirror and like look at what it is they pretty much can figure out where you're going to grow and you know and, uh, and yeah and then it will grow and haven't had a job yet for a while so yeah that's pretty cool eh? yeah all right, and last thing, do you have any uh, words for uh, new performers that might want to be a street performers? Fan? Yeah, just go anywhere. You know, go anywhere, try anywhere, and uh, and just yeah, yeah, put put the hat down. Get, Get out there and do it. Yeah, go out there, do it. Then you see the other people that are doing it. Watch them do it. You know, see if you like it. Really, like, <laughs> go out there and do it. All right, nice, good man. 
Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these interviews. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please do consider swinging by the Busker Hall of Fame website and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of the project at patreon.com backslash buskerstories. Your contributions really do allow us to grow this resource and generate more content. So thanks in advance for helping support this project and helping us keep busking history alive. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Simply go to your favorite app, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. If you're accessing this content via iTunes, we'd love it if you could take a moment to leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we could improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop me a line at cbg at buskerhalloffame.com. Haven't gotten enough Buskerhoff content yet? Well, then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fame. Follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter. Links to all of these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. And just before wrapping things up, we wanted to share a little bit more of that song that Brant created as his hat pitch for the show An All-Too-Serious Fool's Discourse on Tragedy. It's a certain nice. kind of sublime joy in passing the hat. In passing the hat. It's a certain kind of sublime joy in passing the hat. That's that. It's good so good you remember that, man. Yeah. As for you, this show do we our stomachs hunger uncontrollably. That was your first hat pitch? That was our first hat pitch, yeah. On behalf of myself, story editor Magic Brian, who did a ton of work on the preliminary edit, Al Miller for capturing this interview, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening. You don't need to drink, man. You just need to dream.